Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Dr. Malone, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Uh, my name is Robert Wallace Malone. I'm a physician and scientist. I've been involved in biotechnology for well over 30 years. I worked at uh, one of the early Gates-funded uh, vaccine nonprofits called ARIS. I've worked for the government. I've worked for uh, large pharma. I've worked for small pharma startup biotech. I've done biotech startups myself. I was an academic for many years. I have over a pe hundred peer-reviewed publications and uh, about 15 US patents and then many foreign patents. Um, and among those 15 US patents are the nine original patents that cover the use of mRNA and DNA for vaccination purposes, as well as RNA as a drug. And uh, when it comes to what your stance is on the current pandemic, I would say, when it comes to the coronavirus. Uh, so that's a complex question. I mean, I've got a whole book there, Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming. And we write a substack daily, rwmalonemd.substack.com with our uh, opinions for myself and my wife, who's been my partner all the way through this. We've been married about 44 years now. Uh, and um, uh, so I've been directly involved in, in helping manage many prior outbreaks. Uh, I was the tip of the spear for the Department of Defense uh, with a company called New Link Genetics that uh, uh, had purchased a Ebola vaccine from the Public Health Agency Canada that uh, they were um, challenged in uh, developing during the first uh, um, West African Ebola outbreak. And I got that on track and licensed to Merck. And now that's the uh, Merck Ebola vaccine, just to give you some context. I've worked on virtually all of the major uh, biodefense areas um, uh, plague, tularemia, smallpox, uh, um, the uh, equine encephalitis viruses, etc. cetera. Uh, so I'm, I'm very familiar with uh, um, the whole biodefense landscape and uh, um, have been doing this a long time. And, and I've never seen anything like what has been deployed over the last three years. And uh, I've, I've spent years and years and years and did a fellowship at Harvard and, uh, you know, graduated from Harvard Medical School as a fellow in um, global clinical research, uh, taken extensive coursework in bioethics and uh, regulatory affairs. And um, I've had to confront a situation in which everything I thought I knew to be true in terms of policy and practice in clinical research and regulatory affairs and bioethics has just been thrown out the door over the last three years, compounded with a uh, stunning willingness of the government to uh, um, bypass uh, um, all, all norms having to do with informed consent uh, the normal regulatory practice necessary to ensure a safe and effective medical product, uh, the suppression of alternative treatments involving repurposed drugs, uh, the deployment of ad hoc public health policy solutions, quote unquote, 
that were um, basically brought in uh, lock, stock, and barrel from the CCP uh, and were contrary to established public health practice in the West, having to do with things like lockdowns uh, that, that have been well documented to the policies that were implemented that were brought over from the CCP have been uh, clearly documented to have destroyed lives, caused uh, major excess death through suicide and a number of other things, destroyed uh, small businesses in a wholesale fashion, result in the greatest upward transfer of wealth in modern history. Um, it just goes on and on and on. The, the uh, mismanagement of the COVID crisis is uh, certainly one for the record books uh, and, and uh, has a global aspect to it that is not transparent for people that haven't traveled like I've had to travel over the last couple of years. I booked over 400,000 miles last year in commercial air, plus on privates. And um, all of this that we perceived and experienced here in the States has pretty much been deployed throughout the West, throughout Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, of course. We've got to see during this time uh, that the Canadian government is willing to suspend people's bank accounts and to bring in foreign uh, forces to quell a very peaceful uh, demonstration by the truckers. Uh, and that's almost crashed the Canadian banking system because people realized that um, uh, their funds were no longer safe in Canadian banks and, and uh, were subject to political uh, manipulation considerations. And it, I can just go on and on and on about what's transpired. But the big picture is that uh, we've all, in, in looking, trying to find a silver lining in this um, uh, manure fest uh, that we've had, uh, we've, those of us with eyes wide open have been able to see that things, things about the world that we were not aware of, such as the propaganda, the deployment of fifth generation warfare technology on civilian populations, uh, the manipulation of the uh, financial and banking system, basically confirmation of all the, quote, conspiracy theories that have been floated by the Bitcoin community now over the last decade has, has all been validated. Uh, it, just, it just goes on and on. We can now see what was previously the hidden hand of Mr. Global uh, or, or um, uh, Davos Man, as some call it, uh, um, we can see the hidden hand of the CCP. Now that's become visible over the last three years. Um, we can see the uh, interaction and, and interdigitating uh, relationships between World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and uh, the World Health Organization, and World Trade Organization, and the G12. All of these things have become uh, visible in ways that... Um, for most of us, for a small minority, uh, there was awareness of these things. They were those people were usually relegated to the the bin of crazies um, and labeled as uh, tin foil hat conspiracy theorists. And and now they're they're uh, you know crowing that virtually everything they've been said is now been saying has now been verified. Um, it's it's a bizarre upside down clown world now that we confront.
so that's my opinion of the COVID crisis is, is it's uh, been uh, to very significant extent manufactured crisis that's been weaponized uh, to advance other agendas. Were you surprised how connected everything was, like with institutions, the government, and the media? Stunned. Yeah. I mean, I, it took it took Jill and I almost a year to put together that book, uh, and you know, writing daily essays on Substack. We use Substack to serialize it. It ended up about twice as long as it as the final version, and then uh, Skyhorse uh, was um, appropriately brutal in cutting it. Uh, but um, down to the you know 450 pages or whatever it is now, uh, but um, it it was an amazing journey which continues uh, to the present day. I didn't really cover fifth generation warfare in that book. Uh, I wasn't really aware of of that uh, battlefield landscape and what had been done uh, when we wrapped the book last fall. Uh, and so uh, it's been since then that we put out, I don't know, half a dozen or more essays about fifth gen warfare and the um, uh, the various uh, ways that it's deployed by both sides. Um, we see uh, fifth generation warfare uh, approaches being used uh, by um governments and media and of course the twitter files and the lockdown files in the uk uh and and the outcome of the attorney general's lawsuit uh and so many other things uh um have have in the the work uh from judicial watch that it just uh drops truth bomb after truth bomb i mean recently we had the disclosure that the UK government and the US government had an agreement uh, to collude to suppress knowledge about the adverse events of the vaccines. Uh, it's just, it doesn't stop uh, the, the depth of the corruption and, and lack of integrity and compromise and lying and manipulation and, and uh, manipulation of every single information channel. It's, this is fifth generation warfare deployed on civilian populations. I want to talk about some of the damage to the civilian population when it comes to the manipulation of information. I mean, that labeling, that word misinformation is like needles to my ears now because I hear everyone use it on anything. You state anything and if they don't agree with it, they just call it, oh, that's misinformation and walk away, which makes it really hard to have a conversation with someone about, you know, trying- let's start by Let's start by defining the word. Um, I found all the way through this that it's, uh, super important to go back to ground because there's been so much weaponization of words, uh, such as, for instance, anti-vaxxer, just to illustrate, um, started off, there is a group of hardcore anti-vaxxers uh, um, that all uh, look to Del Bigtree, among others, as, as their leaders. Uh, and then the the uh, government and media in their infinite wisdom uh, changed, literally changed the meaning in Webster of the term anti-vaxxer, the slang term, to mean anybody who uh, had reservations, particularly about vaccine mandates. So if you were against vaccine mandates, which are intrinsically, particularly for an unlicensed product, um, uh, inconsistent with fundamentals of bioethics and the Nuremberg Agreement and Helsinki Accord, et cetera. Um, uh, but if, if you were against 
mandated in administration of an unlicensed medical product, you were defined as an anti-vaxxer, which in a single stroke of the pen or the press um, resulted in the majority of, it's certainly a plurality, but probably the majority of Americans becoming anti-vaxxers. Uh, so my point is that all of these words have been weaponized, including misinformation and fascism. Fascism is corporatism. Corporatism is what we are experiencing. Um, so you can make it pretty and call it public-private partnerships, or you can be uh, a little more radical in your language and call it corporatism, or you can use the terminology that Benito Mussolini identified as um, uh, the, the euphemism for corporatism, which is fascism. That is what fascism is. The press is really... Uh, Re attempted to redefine fascism, but fascism is corporatism uh, by the, you know, uh, per, per Mussolini, who was one of the leading practitioners. Uh, so uh, um, misinformation, and I go back to two sources of definitions. One is the Trusted News Initiative, and the other is the Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas uh, uh, determination, I think it was of February 22. Um, in other words, February of 2022. Uh, misinformation in the context of, of public health is anything which differs from the official position at that moment in time of the World Health Organization or your national health authority. Okay, So if you say anything that's different from what the WHO says is their official uh storyline, or uh, Fauci or Burks or, you know, choose Walensky or whomever, uh, um, say at that moment, then you're guilty of spreading misinformation. Okay, so misinformation is only information which is different from the approved, uh, publicly approved narrative coming from WHO or your national health authority. So that's NHS, NRK or whatever. Um, and the, this is what the Trusted News Initiative applies. This is this BBC-managed consortium of all of the major media all across the world. Um, and uh, they, they, it's basically a trade organization to defend corporate media against the likes of you and I, alternative media. That's really what the Trusted News Initiative is. And there's a lawsuit um, ongoing filed by CHD and Bobby Kennedy to that effect that it's basically a monopolistic trade organization. Uh, and so we'll see how that goes. But uh, um, so that's misinformation is anything which is different from the currently approved party line. So for instance, if when Fauci was saying uh, no masks and you were saying masks, then you were, uh, you were distributing misinformation. And then when he flip-flopped and said masks, if you said no masks, then you were at that point spreading medical disinformation or misinformation. Disinformation is doing so for a political purpose. So for instance, if I was spreading, uh, well, technically, uh, currently the, uh, um, uh, the many of the nation states in Europe and increasingly the WHO are not as positive about the jabs uh, for COVID. Um, and Switzerland has discontinued uh, supporting them and, and uh, um, advancing them or advocating them, uh, just to illustrate. 
So if if I was to say, oh, that's all wrong, uh, um, Donald Trump was right. He's great. Um, he did a fantastic thing by advancing these uh, vaccines and getting us all to take them. Okay, that would be spreading disinformation in that it would be different from the currently approved uh, narrative. Um, if I was to say uh, these vaccines uh, completely protect against infection, um, well, that would be a different from what the currently approved narrative is. And so that, if I was saying that in support of Donald Trump, in other words, for a political purpose, that would be disinformation. Malinformation, M-A-L information, can be true or false information, which causes people to question their government, okay? So those three things, mis, dis, and malinformation, were, dis were um, uh, defined uh, by Mayorkas, uh, head of Homeland Security in the United States, as uh, domestic terrorism uh, in a February 22 uh, determination. And so if you were guilty of any of those three things, you potentially could be charged with domestic terrorism. And the, of course, the six head thing here is that what you actually had was physicians, medical practitioners, medical scientists speaking uh, truth based on data. I mean, that's not to say that there weren't some individuals, and I could name a few, uh, that were hyping stuff and making crazy statements so that they could get clicks and likes on YouTube and, uh, or more importantly, on, on uh, their uh, podcast um, uh, or their Substack. But, uh, uh, but um, for the most part, what you had was physicians and medical scientists uh, in good faith interpreting data from the US and across the world, including their direct clinical experience and attempting to report it. And you also had patients who had experienced adverse events who were trying to reach out to other patients um, uh, about their experiences who were also labeled as spreaders of misinformation. And all of this was very actively censored resulting in a situation in which the press and social media colluded with the government to uh, completely block the ability of patients to obtain informed consent because they were blocked from getting access to information about what the true risks and or benefits were of these medical products. The whole thing is absolutely obscene and was justified on the basis that of the assumption that it, really three assumptions that were laid out in event 201 in the fall of 2019 about a coronavirus outbreak that generated the script that has been followed all the way through this, particularly by the Five Eyes nations. And those three assumptions were that we had a highly lethal pathogen, which is not the case. This is far, far away from Ebola. Um, that we had a safe and effective vaccine that could yield a herd immunity, which is false also. That's absolutely not the case. In fact, we have a leaky vaccine that's fairly toxic, maybe one of the most toxic vaccines ever deployed widely. Um, and uh, that there was no medical interventions available using existing drugs that would treat the disease, which has been proven again and again to be false, but was suppressed by, actively by the press and uh, by um, social media uh, in and by the government, and uh, the the poster child for that is ivermectin. 
in hydroxychloroquine. So on the basis of these three false assumptions, the government acted and deployed propaganda and bought influencers and comedians and over a billion dollars in marketing uh, to push a completely false narrative. And ever, anybody who uh, um, spoke against that narrative was uh, harassed, censored, uh, deplatformed, and efforts were made to uh, take their medical licenses and ability to practice. I mean, it, it is stunning when you look at the whole landscape of what transpired here, it is grossly unethical. And um, even just the lockdowns demonstrate a level of governmental overreach that is mind boggling. They were giving $5,000 fines in my, I live in Maryland. They were giving $5,000 fines in the beginning for like the first month. If you left your house without like a work, one of those work papers to show that you were going to a place of work or something like that. Like it was getting a little bit intense with the lockdowns, but it's a colleague of mine who sold vitamin D and zinc was hit with a lawsuit by the federal government for doing so that as I recall, it was $560 billion. Um, and he countersued for $560 billion. And uh, it's worked his way through the courts. And now the federal government um, is basically crying uncle and trying to get him to settle with them. And he refuses because he's a member of the Constitutional Party. And he thinks that this is one that is absolutely worth taking all the way to the mat. Uh, to demonstrate in law and go through discovery to demonstrate how incredibly corrupt all of this was. Yeah, but I mean, it's the scope of what happened here. I agree is is just um, mind boggling, uh, and it shows the willingness. And and this this was we were given a foreshadowing of this by I'm sorry by Mr. Obama, who repeatedly made. Uh, assertions and, as president, uh, and then subsequently, that it was necessary to censor people in order to, quote, preserve democracy. That has got to be some of the most tortured logic I've ever heard. It's complete anathema to, uh, to the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights. Um, but we're in an environment in which the government has basically decided that the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, must be suspended uh, because of utilitarian uh, logic that the ends justify the means. When did asking questions become such a problem? It seems like once the kind of the pandemic and all the labeling of disinformation. It appears that the answer uh, is that it became a problem even before the pandemic. Um, this logic of, of clamping down and the tools that they were gonna use and the methods was uh, discussed in detail in uh, event 201. Um, so they, they intended to do this uh, and by God, they did it. it. But even the things they got wrong and they said, oh, they got something wrong, you know, mistakes happen. It's a little bit more than that because they keep doubling down on certain I things. I completely agree. And and then, then we had this effort for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, South Africa style, um, which, uh, um, uh, we didn't not there wasn't a whole lot of enthusiasm for that, uh, um, except in the minds of people like uh, authors at Atlantic Monthly, 
who were uh, the ones that were guilty of, of these sins, these transgressions. Now, is there, like with ivermectin, the way that that's been labeled, is there a way back for that? Like in the public's, I guess, perception of things, either people call it a horse pace still, or people understand that it was wrongfully mislabeled. But I mean, that drug won a Nobel Prize in like 2014 to, for river blindness. So It, it was, was like, on the WHO's list of essential medicines, still is. Even on the CDC, they did a study on that it was a good way to help with uh, COVID symptoms as well, too. But they labeled even I have Pierre Corey on here. His episode is not available on YouTube because they banned his whole as soon as he mentioned the word ivermectin. You still can't mention it on YouTube. <clears throat> yep. Uh, so uh, I'm toxic on YouTube and on Facebook, just my name. Uh, um. One of the other things that's been stunning that Epic Times revealed uh, um, because of whistleblowers is that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I mean, think about what their mission space is, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, these are the guys that were guilty of the sins of Tuskegee and that syphilis experiment. Um, uh, through their non Congressionally authorized nonprofit uh, called the Foundation for CDC, which they through which they received donations from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, BlackRock, Merck, Pfizer, you know, the usual cast of characters, as well as private parties. They funded an organization, a, a shell company that was set up, kind of a grassroots or astroturf operation uh, that um, set up various organizations. Uh, to manage social media on behalf of the CDC, and in particular, uh, to assemble groups of uh, individuals active on social media, uh, and then broadcast to them basically hit lists of uh, physicians or others, and uh, encouraging them to engage in gang stalking or cyber stalking. And so these people would get this message that would be broadcast out through their network. And by the way, they get special privileges on TikTok and places like that. So they don't get deplatformed if they say ugly stuff that, that like what would happen for the rest of us. Um, they get a pass on that. And then um, they, would, they would get these messages to attack this, that, or the other person. And then in mass, they would file complaints with Twitter. These are the people that took credit for getting me kicked off of Twitter. Uh, they would file complaints with people's employers. These are the people that got Mary Talley Baldwin kicked out of Southern Methodist. Um, uh, and uh, they would write complaints to medical boards en masse about people, uh, um, which then have to be investigated by the medical boards, which results in time and stress and legal costs for the physicians. And this was all funded uh, basically and, and managed by the CDC under a contract. So we we fundamentally had the federal government sponsoring uh, cyber stalking, which is a federal crime, uh, in the service of trying to suppress an uh, attack or retaliate against anybody who was speaking out in uh, opposition to the official uh, dogma coming out of the CDC. I mean, this is, this is beyond Orwellian. Um, this is Stalinist. Have you seen a different change with Elon taking over Twitter? Yes and no. 
obviously we had the Twitter files disclosed. I got put back on and so did many others eventually, not all. Um, but uh, for instance, uh, they're throttling Substack uh, quite harshly. Uh, they throttle me. I, I grew at a very rapid rate um, uh, for a couple of months from uh, about 450,000 to a little over a million. And then it just plateaued and uh, my reach went way down. And Musk had told the European Union that he was gonna do this, that uh, freedom of speech was not equivalent to freedom of reach was his statement. So uh, that was an explicit acknowledgement that he would shadow ban and throttle uh, individuals that were identified as targets. Um, so, uh, has there been a change? Yeah, I'm back on. I mean, there's been some opening up, uh, but uh, the algorithms are still there. Uh, they're still um, uh, guiding uh, how information can be distributed. Do you find that like a lot of the public now that the narrative is kind of turning that a lot of the public is asking more questions about, you know, vaccine side effects. So we had a person at my gym die at like the age of 60 of just a heart attack, a heart issue. Um, and the first question for people that would have called you an anti-vaxxer and been like, get away from me, or they would have screamed at you. They asked about the shot. Was he vaccinated? That was their question. And to me, that was like a big shock because I was like, is everyone kind of starting to ask the same questions? Like we lumped critical thinking and asking a question with conspiracy talk, which was the dumbest thing to do. So, uh, I guess my response is from your lips to God's ears. Let's hope that's the case. I'm, uh, I, uh, I'm in the curb your enthusiasm, young man camp. Uh, um, the forces of evil, to be blunt, are uh, incredibly powerful. I mean, recently, I've been labeled as an anti-government conspiracy theorist by the Anti-Defamation League uh, for speaking about fifth generation warfare um, and uh, administrative state and uniparty. Those are my three sins uh, for talking about that. And, and uh, um, there's another uh, AstroTurf organization with CIA links that's attacked me and others. And they do this trick where they uh, create these false associations. They'll, they'll pick out two or three really way out on the fringe uh, true anti-Semites or neo-Nazis, Proud Boys or whatever, and they'll talk about them. And of course, they they have very little reach. And then they'll put me and McCullough and Steve Kirsch or Bobby Kennedy or whatever and, and say, and look at all the huge reach these people have. And uh, then they'll lump us all in the same article and call us all anti-Semites, which is the new thing in weaponizing uh, anti-vaxxer, which they, you know, they, they, they pulled the fangs on anti-vaxxer because of their um, mismanagement of the of the um, propaganda, and so now they have to make something worse. And so uh, the favorite trope is to try to label us as anti-Semites, which is really a tough a tough lift for me uh, because I have a long history of working closely with various Jewish organizations. Uh, including uh, the rabbinical court in New York and New Jersey that made the early declaration that these jabs were prohibited because of their damage to reproductive system. 
Um, so, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. Facts don't matter in this. Right and wrong is completely irrelevant. Um, they will do anything and say anything in the service of trying to advance whatever their agenda is. Uh, and uh, that's just the way it is. It doesn't it doesn't matter what the facts are. And they will defame and and slander and ridicule and and uh, cyber stalk and all these things that are absolutely illegal. Uh, but they don't care. Uh, and and that's just the way it is. So is it getting, you know, I, I heard from a colleague, Matt Schlapp, who is the guy that runs CPAC, who happens to live 15 minutes north of me and uses this studio from time to time, uh, told me that at CPAC in Australia, he was amazed at how much anger there was about what had happened there. Of course, in Australia, they were even more totalitarian than here with, uh, you know, beatings uh, in, in um catching people uh, and locking them up and, and, you know, moving towards the camps and things like that. And he claimed that uh, in the recent election, basically the Australian government has been overthrown uh, because of, of their um, mismanagement of the COVID crisis. I, Europe seems to be getting increasingly pissed off. UK, not so much. Um, this is one of the reasons why I'm flying out to Belgium uh, next week uh, to testify in the European Union, um, uh, European Parliament, uh, from the second to the fourth, I think it is. Uh, so, um, so things are happening more in Europe, apparently more in in um, Australia. New Zealand is a hot mess, in uh, very much under control of the establishment, and Canada is basically a client state of the World Economic Forum. Um, I don't know what else to say there. It's really quite amazing that the WEF, uh, through its surrogate al acolytes, trained acolytes like Justin Trudeau, has basically captured uh, the Canadian government without firing a shot. You, we were answering a really strange point where we were going to have like digital ID. We were about to have a bunch of stuff that was going to be very mass surveillance-y. Um, but the public kind of stood up to that, even with mandates. I think that's why there's so much pushback on the mandates in so many areas that I think they just can't force that. But we could have entered a period where they could have forced everyone to get a vaccination. They even talk about if you can't get a shot, we'll come to your house and give you a shot. Like those types of situations. Do you yeah, think and was... you couldn't work and you couldn't serve in the military. And and yeah, it shows the degree to which they will go um, if they have an opportunity. Uh, um. I guarantee uh, digital ID is not gone away. And in many ways, we already have it. Uh, every time I go through the airport, I get scanned and I get an iris scan. And um, because of their um, inability to efficiently process people through airport lines, um, uh, they've created this side door of uh, a pre-check and clear in which all you have to do is give up your uh, biometric information and fill out a form with all of your personal identification information, and that goes into a database, and then they allow you to go through much quicker. Um, so they've got all kinds of, you know, anytime you you're do a, a plastic credit card transaction or whatever, all that goes into a database and uh, gets sold and resold and processed and and AI'd and everything else. Uh, so uh, it, even if they haven't yet 
implemented a uh, you know a tracking device in your palm or a QR code on the back of your your hand, uh, they've already accomplished many of those objectives in other ways. And they're I heard I haven't seen the documentation that the farmers vote uh, in the Netherlands went very well. Uh, so this is about the implementation of the WEF policies in the Netherlands and kicking farmers off their farmland, <laughs> ostensibly because of nitrogen runoff. Uh, um, but really the agenda, because I visited there, and the real agenda is to seize farmers' land uh, so they can build more of these 15-minute cities uh, in industrial parks. There was that trail train derailment, I think, in a, I think it was Ohio that happened. And a buddy of mine had mentioned to me about that, about buying up farmland. I mean, I'm very new to that side of things. I kind of Yeah, just... so that's a big Gates initiative. And it's not just about farmland. It's in particular about water rights. Could you maybe explain me a little bit more about that? I'm very new to that. Uh, so um, it used to be just a fun fact. The largest landowner in the United States was Ted Turner. Um, and, uh, um, but now it's, I think it's Bill Gates already. And, uh, he's got a couple of, of, uh, organizations that he makes these, uh, investments in, uh, through and, and they've been buying up, uh, farmland all over the United States, particularly if it has significant water rights, because, uh, uh, there's a, a whole school of thought. It was actually covered in the big short, uh, um, uh, that um, genetic seed stock and water are the new gold rush. And uh, um, we, we have uh, a not enough water to, uh, in, in many parts of the United States that are otherwise fertile. Uh, and so we've drilled deep wells and deeper and deeper wells, and we're pumping the aquifer uh, in order to support agribusiness, basically, uh, and industrial farming. And uh, so we're draining the aquifer. And uh, so in an environment like that, I mean, I grew up on the central coast of California, so I grew up with water politics. I understand water politics very well. In, in a situation in which you have water politics, um, the water board becomes the dominant political force uh, in the local, in the region. Um, you don't have water, you don't have nothing. Uh, so those that control the water, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the new version of the new golden rule. Those with the gold make the rules. Uh, but in this environment, those with the water make the rules. Uh, and that's just the way things are. And so if you're a uh, monopolist, which I argue Bill Gates is one of the great monopolists in history. I'm right there with you. Uh, whatever, yeah, whatever else you want to make of him. He, you have to concede that he is an amazingly gifted monopolist uh, and uh, has, has succeeded in, in deploying monopolist uh, business practices um, in, a, in a serial fashion uh, to an extent never seen before. And most recently, he's managed to monopolize world health uh, in using the same strategies and practices. It's stunning watching it. So... Now he wants to monopolize water and farmland, 
Uh, and what is the objective there? He's also, of course, making major investments in energy in uh, these new uh, liquid liquefied salt-based uh, mini reactors uh, for distributed nuclear power and uh, in uh, obviously the um, uh, plant-based meat slash, you know, cultured meat technology and many other things that uh, uh, fit with um, his version of, you know, cloud seeding, his versions of the nature of the world. Uh, and um, I argue that a lot of this, because this is also uh, being, you know, he's very much integrated into the World Economic Forum. And many of these same policies are WEF uh, advanced. And I argue that what basically the WEF, which represents the thousand largest companies in the world, so it's a trade organization of the biggest of the big businesses globally. And uh, what they do is they cooperate uh, among themselves to advance various policy agendas. So climate change being a notable example or COVID being another one, uh, transhumanism being another one, uh, the logic around the fourth industrial revolution being another one, uh, the Great Reset is another one. It's a WEF uh, policy platform. And uh, what they do is they advance these things, whether or not they're really based in sound science, it doesn't matter. Um, they, they advance using their control of media, like BlackRock basically controls all corporate media in the United States, just to let you know, um, I, I disabuse you of any illusions you might've had. Um, and uh, by the way, just increase their stake ownership in Fox News concurrent with ousting Tucker. Uh, and they also happen to uh, have very large fractional ownership of Dominion. So the whole Fox versus Dominion thing was kind of uh, BlackRock versus BlackRock. It's like the old uh, Mad Magazine. You remember Spy versus Spy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like that. <laughs> um, uh, so BlackRock versus BlackRock. And uh, so they they come up with these uh, basically threat scenarios, or I would call fear porn uh, strategies. And then, so on one hand, they're presenting, oh my God, we're all going to die because of climate change or COVID or um, whatever the thing is. Um, and then in the other hand, they say, oh, but we have the solutions that we will sell you. Okay, and the solutions are electric powered cars, which they have invested in bigly, or uh, windmills or solar panels or each of these things. If you go through and analyze them based on physics and science and economics, each one, if you look at it, you're like, this makes no sense at all. But if you look at it from the standpoint of these large corporations are going to make a, a boatload of profit advancing these new technologies and solutions uh, and selling them to the world, um, then it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's it's like a uh, fear porn consumer-based uh, military industrial complex, you know, where the military always has, and the military industrial complex always has an incentive for war. They have no incentive for peace, right? The same with all of these fear porn agendas that are advanced by the World Economic Forum, because they always advance the fear at the same time that they offer us their version of the solution, 
which they present as the only version of the solution that's allowed because as they have said notoriously, they own the science. They control what is the allowed narrative in science now. And they're quite proud of it. It's, I mean, which do you think has lost the most credibility? Do you think it's the media? Do you think it's the health institutions, the doctors that keep doubling down on the things that they know they should be questioning? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Great Barrington Declaration. I've spoken to many people who are a part of that. Um, yeah, I, I know Jeffrey Tucker well. He's, I, I'm hoping to podcast with him and get him to disclose in public the whole story because it's an amazing story. Uh, but so far, he's only willing to talk about it in private. Uh, but um, I personally, I don't structure my thinking that way of which has lost more credibility. I, I structure it around uh, myself. You know, maybe I'm narcissistic. Um, my, my question to self is in the spectrum of things that you might be able to have an impact in, which is the most important? And so is medical freedom that top priority, which for many of my peers, it is. And I've decided personally that that is not my top priority, that my top priority is freedom, period, full stop. It's the First Amendment. And so in my frame of reference, the BS that's happened in the medical industry is just another, uh, you know, another flavor of ice cream uh, um, in these, you know, self-licking cones. Uh, and the real problem is uh, the manipulation, really the fifth generation warfare, the manipulation of information intentionally to, uh, to um, control uh, thought, emotion, perception, uh, reality uh, for most of us. And it's the way I phrase it to just kind of hit you with it. We, we all recognize that personal sovereignty is crucial to democracy. Now, people have also made the case that the other thing that's crucial for democracy, this was Bobby Kennedy's point, is the middle class. If you lose a middle class, you lose democracy. You cannot have a thriving democracy in the absence of a middle class. And the middle class has been systematically gutted like a fish over the last few years. Um, but uh, I choose to focus on um, media and information because I think it's the place that I can have an impact. Uh, I've, I've spent the last three years with this really steep learning curve about alternative media, podcast and, and essays and the power of the written word and those kinds of things. And um, uh, I'm convinced that, that that is the thing, the pain point, the pressure point that I can push on personally because of my the gifts that I have and the skills that I've developed, that's the pressure point I can push on to make the most, to gr most greatly affect change. And I, I believe that the change that's most necessary is uh, related basically to the First Amendment, freedom of speech and freedom of thought that comes with it. And that um, in an environment, in a world in which uh, the nation state, the uh, Leviathan, the administrative state, whatever you want to call it, um, feels uh, totally comfortable uh, with deploying fifth generation cyborg technology on civilians, 
the, the meaning of the term personal sovereignty is um, a complete anachronism. It's outdated. There is an environment in which the government colludes with tech and me um, feel, think, perceive in your world, um, uh, having to do with politics and public policy and health policy and everything else. Um, you have no sovereignty. You have no freedom of thought because you are only given a very narrow, the, the term Overton window, if you're familiar with that, applies here. So what they've done and what they actively do with the Cywar tech is to highly constrain the Overton window and create an environment in which if you step outside of that highly constrained Overton window, you're immediately labeled as a terrorist, as, as somebody who has transgressed in some fundamental way against the state and society, and you will be administered a sharp, short, sharp shock in one way or another um, to get you to correct your behavior, whether that's uh, a social credit system or, uh, you know, deplatforming from your bank or deplatforming from Twitter or whatever the thing is, you will be hit if you uh, speak or act outside of the approved allowed Overton window. And if you question outside of the Overton window, and that has got to change. We cannot, what will happen is that the ability of society to effectively respond to change and stress will be completely destroyed because we will not be able to innovate because we won't be allowed to think. I wanted to touch on the subject of independent media. I mean, one big danger is self-censorship. Like I'm very focused into the Kennedy assassination. I've talked to over a hundred experts in that department, even Bob Blakey from the House Select Committee on Assassinations who proved probable conspiracy on the likelihood of Jack Ruby killing Oswald. Um, for the first time I've ever heard him say. Yeah, and Bobby, Bobby is completely convinced that the CIA yeah, killed Martin same. Luther King, his father and his uncle. Same. But um, with, when I talked to Bob Blakey, he, first time, I think in 60 years, he mentioned that Oswald was more than what the government was saying he was. And I've dedicated my kind of like at least past year to that. And I'm afraid that that's going to be taken off social media platforms. I mean, not social media platforms, but YouTube, all these other platforms in general, because now I see they put something in there where it shows like Wikipedia and Wikipedia, they've changed multiple times. There's a couple things that are errors on the Wikipedia page when it comes Wikipedia to Wikipedia is actively manipulated by MI5 and MI6 and other intelligence agencies. That and uh, the the people, the guy, the sock puppet, it is literally a sock puppet that has edited my bio and, and Pierre Corey's and anybody that's spoken about ivermectin or anything else is tied back to MI5. Um, you should, uh, a great resource for you is Wikispooks, if you're not already familiar with it. I've heard of it. Now, I mean, you mentioned you were optimistic about everything. I mean, with all this like deep connections and ties and everything, and I mean, most people, when they search up something on their phone, it's Wikipedia. It's usually the first thing on Google is what they click, but yeah. why are you so optimistic? Because it, you know, the American revolution was, uh, not that I'm advocating revolution. Uh, but uh, the American Revolution uh, was the consequence of probably less than 5% of the population becoming active. Uh, we currently have something in the range, and it depends on the metric that you use. Like, for instance, your, 
your metric you used informally a minute ago was uh, random walk sampling in the face of a 60-year-old with sudden death uh, from cardiac complications in your uh, community of uh, um, uh, exercise enthusiasts. And uh, you talked, you, you gave the anecdote of so many people that you thought had been um, uh, supporters of the narrative uh, suddenly questioning whether or not it might possibly be due to the jab. Um, so that's that's a soft indicator. There's an there's another one that's kind of like that. Um, uptake of the boosters. Uptake of the boosters is only about twenty or thirty percent. So that means that the vast majority of the United States population is kind of done with this circus. Uh, um, so are they resistors? Or are they just, uh, you know, convinced that it's not in their personal best interest and there's too much risk? Um, but polling suggests that, you know, maybe 40% of people really feel like they're anti-vaxxers then. Uh, um, so are those people going to become politically active? Uh, we, we probably have something like 20% of the population, maybe 30%, that... Um, is what we would define as awake as opposed to woke. But we also have 20, 30% of the population that is full on woke, you know, in, you know, deep in the Governor Newsom, uh, California crazy land camp, uh, you know, the George Soros uh, um, uh, types and- uh, The throwing but, a paint on a canvas type people, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, those are, those are out on the fringe, but, um, <laughs> So, so if we have 20% of the population that is really willing to become warriors as opposed to victims, uh, we, could, we could move mountains. The question is, has it come to that point? Nigel Farage has become a, you know, the founder, basically the driving force of Brexit, has become a little bit of a mentor for me. Um, I'm very grateful for his coaching and support. And his opinion is that we're not yet to the point where we can really co um, coalesce. Uh, that people aren't, at least in the United States and Great Britain, they're not angry enough yet. Uh, now, they apparently hit that tipping point in Australia. Uh, but if you follow, for instance, one, one example of this type of logic is the fourth turning logic, if you're familiar with that book. Um, so the, this is this is the idea that um, human history goes through four cycles repeatedly of about 20 years in length. Um, the first one being boom times. Uh, so that would be akin to what we experienced right after World War II when the United States was the dominant power globally, un, you know, unchallenged. And we were able to exploit that in various imperialistic ways and, you know, import resources and labor and everything else. Um, and then it, it goes through a period of uh, two other 20-year uh, cycles that are uh, more uh, social decay. Um, you know, you plateau out, and then um, you have increasing corruption, et cetera. And then in the fourth cycle of 20 years, um, basically all hell breaks loose. And things come to a point where the corruption, 
and compromise becomes so deep and profound that society starts to fail um, to provide uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic uh, functions that it's supposed to perform. And that as you head into a fourth turning, um, uh, as, which is what we are in based on this theory currently, uh, we're well into a fourth turning, uh, that what will happen is all of a sudden, it's like a light switch flips and there is a sudden awakening of uh, the majority of the population and, and sudden change. Uh, and uh, um, so that's, that's the thesis uh, is that there have been these historic cycles and uh, and they seem to culminate in a point in which things get so bad that you just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It just looks like everything is dark. Um, and then and then unexpectedly, uh, the population kind of collectively somehow comes to the conclusion that this is just not working. <laughs> and something's got to change, you know. Uh, is it the Marilyn Monroe movie? Something's got to give. Uh, um, it, it's it's uh, you know we get to that point, and uh, um, are we there? Are we approaching it? Did it happen in Australia? Is it about to happen in Europe? Uh, you know, Europe uh, is lucky that it made it through the last winter because of the mismanagement regarding energy. They were destroying German forests. You could not buy a wood burning stove for love or money. Um, it, you know, they, they made these stupid decisions about closing nuclear power plants in France uh, before they had a solution, an alternative solution. And everybody was so obsessively caught up in the global warming or climate change narrative, the CO2 narrative, that they were doing things that just made absolutely no sense from an economics or public policy standpoint but we're all about um, tribalism and subservience to this approved narrative. Um, and in the, then, you know, in the midst of that, apparently the U.S. blew up Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 in a peak of anger against uh, Russia for invading Ukraine. Um, and now we have, you know, another, another example of that kind of stupid uh, where our Ukrainian policy, which is intended per the Secretary of Defense and the President to bleed Putin dry um, is instead forcing Putin into the arms, the waiting arms of uh, the CCP in China and uh, generating a coalescence of a whole new uh, currency consortium that we call BRICS uh, and the, uh, you know, the Saudi Arabia that we have literally poured trillions of dollars to serve as a surrogate for the United States and the Middle East is making statements to the effect that they don't give a flying F about what the United States thinks anymore. And they're gonna go along their own way and they're migrating to using BRICS currencies uh, in lieu of uh, the dollar for petroleum exchanges, which when that happens, we suddenly will have a surplus globally of dollars because they won't be tied up in buying and selling petroleum and they will have to be repatriated to the United States. And just at a time when we least need a flood of fiat currency coming ashore, um, uh, all this, all these petrodollars are going to become 
uh, washing around in the U.S. economy and, uh, you know, run for precious metals and Bitcoin because it's it's looking ugly, right? So uh, we got a bunch. Of, and then there is the uh, impending default of the Social Security system, as if we didn't have enough things on the horizon. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations for anybody in the general public for, I don't know, to get on the right path or maybe some things to look into, good media? So we put that in the in the back of the book, uh, in those final chapters. Uh, you know, um, uh, the Victory Gardens during World War II almost doubled U.S. agricultural production. Uh, they had set up Victory Gardens in um, Central Park in New York. Uh you know, people with suburban homes can get chickens. Uh, do what you can to become food self-sufficient. Do what you can to uh, um, backstop your financial resources. Don't trust the banks. Um, uh, I don't know what you can trust. The problem with precious metals, which is what we've gone to, is how you store them and and what do you do with them? I mean, how do you spend a Kruger on Uh you know, that's that's like saying how if you could only spend a whole Bitcoin at one time, well, there aren't that many things available for twenty thousand um, dollars. So fortunately, with cyber currency, you can make mar you know fractional transactions. But um, uh, you you if you're gonna if you want to live as a independent free person, if you're really committed to freedom, of which only a small fraction of of people really are. Most people want to be told what to do. But if you're one of those poor souls who loves freedom, like I do, um, and maybe you do, uh, you got to think hard about your lifestyle choices. Um, you know, a condo in Manhattan when the hammer comes down is not going to be a good place to be. Uh, do you have the skills to uh, live autonomously? I'm not saying go full on prepper, but if all you can do is be a coder in a world in which, you know, various GPT slash AI applications are going to blow you out of the water in the next two years, if not the next six months, um, you better think about getting some other skills. Uh, and uh, it's it's for people that haven't been brought up in self-sufficiency. I mean, for us, for Jill and I, this is our sixth or seventh small farm. Uh, I can pretty much do most things. I can do plumbing, electrical. I was a carpenter. Um, I can do masonry. I built this uh, uh, facility here out of an old 1945 pig barn. Um, you know, I can work electronics pretty well. I can code. I can, I can do a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'm a physician and scientist on top. So, you know, I, I, I've got a tractor. Uh, it's all paid off and the implements and I farm and, and have for years. So I, I, you know, you can't run a small farm without knowing how to fix stuff. Uh, and um, otherwise you just go bankrupt uh, paying other people to fix it for you. So there's a, there's a lot of skills you got to build and uh, you need to think about your priority stack um, uh, and think about what does freedom really mean to you and your children and your spouse and uh, think, really think through your priorities uh, because uh, if, if the feces hit the rotating oscillator 
then um, uh, where are you going to be? Uh, what are you going to do for your food? Because we all got a pre-read on that, particularly during 2020. And uh, the government said, oh, you poor little children, we're going to bail your ass out with all this money that we're going to put in your bank account, all this fiat currency. And everybody said, oh, good, I don't have to go to work and do anything. Um, that's not going to happen again. That was the last time, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and uh, next time, you're, it's going to be uh, suck it up uh, and deal with it. And so I, I, you know, it is absolutely worthwhile to learn fifth generation warfare technology and strategies and tactics. If for any no other reason that it will allow you to see through the propaganda, just like understanding modern marketing makes it so that you don't have these uh, subtle urges to go um, have sex with your neighbor or uh, um, buy a McDonald's hamburger, uh, right? Um, uh, um, you know, there's all kinds of subliminal advertising. That's basically what fifth gen warfare is only on steroids. Uh, so once you learn the strategies and techniques, you can see through them better. And then if you start practicing them on social media or in the podcast or whatever, or with the poor soul who still is wearing a face nozzle in line at Walmart, um, you know, and approach them with uh, empathy and humility, not with anger and hate. And, um, you know, try to gently nudge them. Uh, um, that's fifth generation warfare too. Um, music can be fifth generation warfare. Comedy is an outstanding fifth generation warfare tool because it cuts right through people's defense mechanisms. This is Aesop's fables understood this. That's why Aesop's fables are all about animals and humor uh, and, and subtle nuances because it's what people can hear. If you tell the story about um, you know, Marcus Titus and uh, what a nasty son of a gun he was and how avaricious he was, um, nobody will hear it if you're, you know, in ancient Greece. But if you tell the story about uh, the sneaky fox and the grapes, oh, they can all hear that and they can all laugh at the fox because it's not a human. Um, the uh, um, Uncle Remus uh, stories uh, are another example of that, the tar baby, which of course nobody can talk about anymore. Uh, but they were fantastic uh, parables of the old South um, that were full of wisdom. Uh, I still, uh, I can never forget uh, um, the briar patch or the tar baby uh, as metaphors um, uh, and, and uh, the stories of uh, Br'er Wolf and Br'er Fox. Uh, so that's just my cultural history. Sorry about that. Uh, but that's the way it is. Uh, and because I, my, Family comes from the deep south, uh, so that's that's just been part of our culture. But um, that's you know, in we need to find ways to break through into that persuadable middle. If we if we ever want to get a majority, and win another election, uh, so uh, you know, you you have a choice. You can um, withdraw and retreat. Uh, you can. Um, you know, close your ears and your eyes and your mouth and just try to get along. That's the kind of the government bureaucrat approach to life and hope that your pension is still there um, when you when you manage to limp across the, the finish line at 68. Um, uh, 
or you can choose uh, Jack London's uh, approach. You know, I would I would uh, la rather live a short, um, passionate life uh, than than a long, dull one. Um, you know, it's it's uh, if you choose freedom, it's it's a it's a tough road, uh, not for everybody, but for those of us that choose it, there's no other road. <laughs> Dr. Malone, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Is there a place where people can find any of your links to your Substack or any other links you'd like to promote? It's rwmalone.substack.com. I'm sorry, rwmalonemd.substack.com. And you don't have to pay. Our, you know, if you do, uh, bless your heart, sugar, because uh, it's all that supports me. But uh, But I'm not a grifter. And the real goal is to get the information out. The book... Uh, if you don't want to buy the book, and I do, it, it's written as a journey, hoping to help other people with their journeys. It's not a book of me telling you what to think. Um, and uh, if you don't want to spend your money at Amazon, which many don't that are in the freedom thing, uh, Mike Lindell does sell it at his My Store. Uh, so uh, you can go there or whatever bookseller. And then I'm on Twitter, Gab Getter, Truth Social at RW Malone MD. And uh, do check for the checks because I've collected a number of, uh, let's gently call them fan accounts. People want to be uh, you. <laughs> including, uh, yeah, um, I'm reminded of the famous Jungle Book song with the orangutan. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to be like you. Uh, so, um, the, the closest I'll ever get is the guitar player, Robbie Robertson. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And check out uh, my friend, High res and his fantastic rap videos that JP Sears and I are both in. Um, one is called two plus two equals five. And the other one is called what is the truth? And you can both find those on high res's channels. And they're a lot of fun, uh, particularly for younger folks like yourself that, uh, you know, my age, there aren't that many people that appreciate a rap song, uh, but in, even in your age, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, um, radical social change rap from an Orthodox Jew that just married his high school sweetheart at Mar-a-Lago is a little on the fringes, but I, I think Jesse is, you know, his high res, that's his name, Jesse and Rachel. I, I just think they're wonderful people. And I think Jesse's a bloody genius and they've built some of the best protest songs um, through the last three years of anybody anywhere in the world. Um, so uh, check out my friend, Hi Rez, uh, if you are so inclined. I'm going to link your links in the description for people to, people to be able to click and also Hi Rez's links as well too. Um, so people can check out the videos as well. And I appreciate the time and thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.